there are some who would say like, oh, somebody will steal my idea. Please, <laughs> please <laughs> steal all of my ideas. The, the hard work is not in the idea that you dream up, but actually in building and iterating. The originality comes from listening to your uh, customers, to learning to do things different over time and experimenting and just being persistent over the many years that it takes to, uh, to build something. Hello, hello, hello. I am super duper excited today because it's episode 56. That's five plus six of the afternoon tea. And I have a great, great guest today. Um, someone who I met uh, a while back in Lisbon and uh, knew right away that I wanted to have him on the show. In fact, I don't think I took a bus in Lisbon that you weren't on and I enjoyed every second of it. But before we get into that, uh, that, that part of the chat, let me get into the introduction, if you please. Yevgeny Yev Chabotarev began photography in 2002, and since then, he has spent the entirety of his professional career dedicated to the betterment of visual creativity. That is amazing. I wish I could say that about myself. <laughs> in 2021, he co-founded Sloika in order to build a new NFT experience for photographers. Prior, in early 2004, before Facebook and photo sharing sites even existed, Ev created 500px, a community for millions of photographers to meet and share photos and information. Between his two startups, Evgeny was Skylum Software's chief growth officer, expanding Skylum's business in Asia and allowing Ev to work and travel all over the continent. Ev is an active photographer and has been honored to judge many world-class photo contests, including Red Bull Illum, Photo Life, and the Sony World Photography Awards. Originally from Moscow, Ev has earned a BA in Commerce and Finance from Ryerson University in Toronto, I guess the old name. Graduating with honors in 2007, Yev, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, and of course, thanks for having me. Um, I, I like that intro because it also tells that starting something early doesn't mean it's going to be uh, extremely successful. So starting before Facebook, uh, we did not become Facebook. So here's a little bit of trivia, I guess. But, but it does give people a roadmap of where they can go right? Everything is built on top of everything else, um, which I think, which I think is interesting, especially in our collective uh, life of social media and, 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 and networks and all this. And, and, you know, this is going to be a Canadian network story that we're going to be talking about here. So I, I just want to preface again, Ev, I, I mean, I had such a great time um, hanging out with you. Um, you know, we, we got to dance to my favorite Russian song, which shocked me when we went to a Sloika <laughs> event, um, one that, um, oh, I can't, um, Malchik Hochish Tomboy, something like that, which 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 was back from my from my days, which was so much fun. But the thing that I got right away from you is you are probably the most international human being I have ever met, um, grounded in the world. But can you tell me about your Canadian experience? Well, uh, I guess my Canadian experience started when I was age um, ten or eleven, mm -hmm. and I was living in Moscow. And for some reason, I don't know why, I had a Canadian flag pinned to my wall. <laughs> really? I had no idea what it meant. It looked nice. Uh, I think there might be, I, I didn't have any other flags on my walls. I had some posters of like boy bands and other bands, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but not of the uh, uh, other countries. But the only one I had was uh, Canada. Mm -hmm. And I moved to Canada when I was 16, uh, along with the family. Okay. Um, and spent about 20 one years uh, so far in Canada. So for me, you know, kind of like the most uh, 
Yeah, it's been pretty pretty exciting journey. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, one of the biggest kind of like those tidbits that I can share is that if I had not have moved to Canada, I would have never started a company. Uh, I can probably guarantee that. Uh, the reason for this is that there's so much red tape and bureaucracy in other places. But when mm-hmm. I thought of starting a company in uh, Canada, um, you just, you know, you start with a website, uh, with the Canadian website, you register your corporation, pay the dues, and you have it. And you're like, wow, we are like a corporation now, which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was definitely much, much easier, even though obviously there's a lot of bureaucracy that comes uh, at the other end of this. Of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, we still have to fix that part. But uh, in essence, the entrepreneurial journey basically started with uh, my family immigrating to Canada. And so pretty grateful for that. Amazing. And, you know, this is like uh, my, my wife's originally from Korea. And this is one of the questions I ask her and her family and her friends. When you, you had that Canadian flag on your wall, which I think is such a cool story. What's the one thing, if you could close your eyes, what's the one thing you imagined when you thought of Canada? Uh, when I thought of Canada? Yeah, before you had even come here. Like, what's the one thing, that one vision that made you think of it? One vision that I had of Canada before ever stepping uh, a foot onto Canadian soil uh, is endless forests. I had not, I had no idea what it looked like, but I had an idea that it's pristine, no people around, and it's just like forest from coast to coast. <laughs> Looking outside and seeing skyscrapers, I know that's currently not a very <laughs> accurate vision, uh, but yeah, that was probably what I saw. The yeah. forests of downtown Toronto. Yeah. Forests of uh, like British Columbia, right? Like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. across the whole, uh, the whole, basically. Well, that's, 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 that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting how the nature is such a big, a big part of that. Like uh, usually the, 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 when I, when I ask again, relatives or anything, they, they, it's, it's almost two, which again, it has a very nature sort of feel. It's always Lake Louise. Or the, um, uh, the the waterfalls out in um, oh, what's it called the, the, the never, never ending falls yeah 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 the most American place in Canada <laughs> I'm gonna say but uh, um, well that's well that's interesting well so I mean lover of nature I'm gonna guess here you you had that identity how does that translate I mean photography like I'm 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 very interested in your passion around photography and how it's really dictated your career where did you find that passion where where, where did you first get the bug. The, that's true. The, the, the bug actually started uh, in the last year of living in Moscow. I was putting together money that I collected from my chores with family uh, and outside of home and like collected, collected, collected and bought a camera in the year 2000. And that was like one of the first digital cameras, uh, freakishly expensive. Uh, back you know in in those days and i was just photographing everything i saw from like cats and flowers and whatever the photos were terrible but at some point when you just start photographing you know it's like in the zone you're feeling you're in a flow and you just want to keep shooting and it doesn't matter what you're taking pictures of and i think it's a little bit of a therapeutic experience that many mm-hmm. photographers are going for because if you think of everything that photographer has to go through, like let's say landscape photographers, 
um, you have to love the process as well. You have to love the rain, the cold, uh, any storms, uh, lack of food or the uh, excess of food, depending on where you are, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all of this is, is part of that experience. And so uh, I learned to love it. Um, I photographed a lot of landscapes, traveled to different places, a lot of road trips. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, in essence, that kind of like, um, how it began and only later when I get got a little bit older I realized that my grandfather was actually a pretty prolific photographer really um, but I didn't know that uh, at the time and so yeah he had uh, multiple cameras none of those survived until kind of like for my use mm-hmm. um, and had Not a lot of digital <laughs> yeah so he was kind of like the uh, I guess documentarian for mm-hmm. his part uh, of uh, like his life Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe it's just, you know, it's keep the generation and uh, in the DNA. It's, yeah, it's, and- it's in the DNA. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm intrigued when you said, you know, you got an early digital camera. Cause I remember my brother had the original Apple camera in 19, oh, I think it was 97 or 96. And it was beautiful and useless because you actually had to put a disc in one of those three and a half milliliter yeah. discs in it. And it took like four photos, maybe, maybe three. What was, what was this, this, you know, this early 2000 camera? Did it have a larger, did, uh, you know, media drive or was it, what was that like? That was already on a compact uh, CF cards. Okay. Uh, compact flash, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, three megapixel camera, Olympus uh, 3040Z. That's the name. I still remember it. Um, <laughs> it's your first beautiful, <laughs> beautiful camera. I don't shoot Olympus anymore, but kind of like that process. It's hard to describe. It's it's a, yeah, it's like a camera that I wouldn't use today, but I was mm-hmm. mesmerized by technology, obviously, when you get it, and it looks like spanking new and you don't have to... Uh, 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 do the, all the processing, which I never did. I actually like went with digital first and then discovered uh, film cameras and manual processing, uh, like uh, darkroom later in life, mm-hmm. actually. So it's kind of like you oh. can get caught on something and learn to love the, you know, the original process, I guess. Sure. sure. Well, let's, well, let's talk about loves and uh, original processes. Sloika, tell me about the founding story of Sloika, please. Oh, it's very new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still it's still happening. You you, you mm-hmm. might say. So, what was happening is late. Uh, no, actually, early 2021, um, when NFT starting to show up in mm-hmm. uh, in the news, I realized that it's something that I've been working on since 2017. But totally, uh, and we'll talk about this in a second as well. Mm-hmm. But totally, you know, I threw it out of my head. Forgot about this. And when NFTs appeared once again on the um, news horizon, um, I realized that it excites me like nothing else. Mm-hmm. It's this intersection of hardcore technology, you know, blockchain, crypto, and art, which is probably something, you know, like Apple, this intersection of art and yeah. technology. And so it feels the same way where you can have really solid technology and artistic representation and vision that can be combined together mm-hmm. and so at the time i worked uh with skyloom and i was telling the guys like guys i i know i've been with you three years i feel like that's my urge to start something to mm-hmm. drop everything and start something new and they were very supportive 
Um, and when I transitioned out of the uh, working with them, they actually became investors in, really? uh, in this. So the, uh, yeah, actually. The vote of confidence. It's a, it's a vote of confidence, which mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's uh, really uh, helped, you know, through this like early stages. So like throughout the summer of last year, we started working on this with my co-founder. Uh, my co-founder is uh, Arseni, and he is fairly famous for being the first engineer uh, on Fire and PX team. And so he was the guy who was fixing and building everything that was breaking uh, in the early days of Fire and PX. Mm -hmm. So like between 2011 and 2013, uh, when like we were going through a massive uh, stage of growth. And so he likes blockchain <laughs> okay he likes startups and so <laughs> you know when i talked to him and we had a few conversations he's like yep that sounds interesting i can do that and nice. so that's how it began um and sloika as uh, kind of like as the brand appeared throughout the summer and we did our first uh drop on september 15th of last year mm -hmm. and so now it's in its you know nine month from uh, from that drop right now and we are working with hundreds of different creators to try to help them succeed and basically our approach is kind of like not try to scale too fast but actually try to understand um, how we can help the most uh, photographers who are great artists but may not be the best marketers for example mm -hmm. and we realize that like oh yeah that's actually a problem people hate promoting themselves except for some people some people are really good at that but most <laughs> are not um and we are actually honing on that particular niche where we take more time than any other platform to understand how we can help to mm -hmm. do things like grammar and spelling checks to curate their final uh, collection to maybe say like, oh, maybe this piece is too much or maybe this piece is not very applicable to this mm -hmm. um, and help them through this process because it's still not easy, but the goal is to learn from all these people and build the tools that can help the new generation of uh, photographers uh, succeed by making their art uh, collectible basically. Amazing, amazing. Well, I mean, it's such a it's such a hot and interesting field is the technology. And I love how the technology and the art kind of meet each other. And then you help with the business side, too. And I, I think there's great opportunity for that. Um, one thing that was really intriguing me about, about the NFT world. Now, I'm, I'm, it's not Web3 and all that. Like, I love it. It's not really, you know, I don't want to say I, 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 I know it. I'm, I'm dipping my toe in a lot of it right now. And especially because one thing that I've learned is that there is so much... Um, innovation that's coming out between Vancouver and in Ontario Waterloo. Um, I was actually really, really lucky to go to a, um, a pre-collision event a couple nights ago. And um, Arthur from um, Dapper Labs was speaking. And I had no, he showed like an early day photo of when they were coming up with NFT, um, I guess, protocol. And the naming of it, I had no idea that all of these, you know, you see Vivita, Vivita I'm probably saying something wrong. I'm no, I know I wouldn't be the first, but uh, all of these deep founders are all Canadian coming together to come up with this protocol. I didn't realize that it's had such deep roots in, in, in Canada. Do, do you remember um, the first time you've heard of NFTs and got, did you like, is that, did you get excited right away or was it kind of a, huh, what is this? Yeah. Well, uh, Dapper Labs is credited with creating the uh, ERC 721, the actual yeah. um, 
uh, piece of code that governs majority of NFTs that are created. So that is a very epic thing to put on your resume, I guess. Huge. <laughs> uh, for me, the story of Ethereum and blockchain was something of kind of like missing out. So I used to live on King West and worked on also King West, where the FireNPX office was. And every day I would walk by one way and then back, I would see this little house on King and Spadina called Bitcoin Decentral. Okay. That's where Vitalik Buterin and his gang were building Ethereum, kind of like back in the early days. Mm -hmm. And I was always walking by them like, I should go check it out. You know, this Bitcoin Decentral sounds interesting mm -hmm. and i never did no <laughs> so the first time i met vitalik was in taipei i think okay. it was 2017 or 2018 mm -hmm. uh when he started his like world tour and started spending more time in asia mm -hmm. um and i'm like damn i missed the um the you know the the opportunity of a lifetime by not being curious enough and so mm -hmm. for me curiosity is now like one of the key things to keep in life um, is to stay curious, to not uh, dismiss things, uh, and to try to experiment. Like not just like look at it and make your decision, but actually go and spend some money or spend some time to experiment with those things that are coming online. Even if they look like toys, because most great technologies start uh, looking like toy uh, mm -hmm. first. And um, yeah, with NFTs, I got acquainted a little bit closer in 2017 mm -hmm. while living in Taipei, uh, in Taiwan. And I thought to myself, we need to build something like this for photographers. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started Base Proof that mm -hmm. went from being a new startup to being dead in like two months. And they're like, two, kill it quick. Months. That's good. That was quick. But the, <laughs> yeah. the, the main point was like, okay, I wanted to experiment if it's possible to put hundreds of millions of records uh, on chain. Mm -hmm. The answer is no, it's not possible. Uh, and it's not possible because none of the blockchains of the time. So there was uh, Ethereum that was slow back then. It's still mm -hmm. slow today. Mm -hmm. But there was also a lot of others that were super fast. Um, but the reason they were fast because nobody was using them. And so it's yeah. like, yes, it's fast until you guys have the amount of traffic and interest that Ethereum has. And so mm -hmm. that is to be seen. And some of them did not survive uh, today, for example, uh, to, to this day. And so um, that experiment failed. So base proof is kind of like became uh, a ghost startup. But that okay. idea, that kernel of an idea of trying to put photography um, and NFTs that was basically born in the fall of 2017 in Taipei. Very cool. And uh, Taipei is one of my favorite cities. I know we've had this conversation. I lived there for six months so my kids can learn Mandarin. And honestly, best food. I, I really love tai uh, Taipei. Um, well, Sloika, the name, I love the name. Okay. I've, I've, I've spent some time in Eastern Europe and Russia and I've actually eaten a Sloika, but can yeah. you explain to me, you know, uh, what a Sloika is and why that name is important? So the name is, yeah. Um, so yeah. Oh, that's a loaded question. Uh, mm -hmm. So Sloika means like a puffed pastry, similar to croissant uh, in Russian or in Eastern European cultures. So there's actually Sloika bakery in Ukraine. Uh, it's Sloika is very common for po uh, Polish and, and Russian uh, speaking uh, people. And so my goal is that, you know, when you look at the current 
a crop of startups in NFT, everything is rare. You know, there's super mm-hmm. rare and rareable and looks rare and this rare and that rare. And so it's really hard to escape this like rare, rare, rare. Because uh, it's like everything will be rare, but if everything is rare, then it's not rare anymore. <laughs> Nothing is. <laughs> uh, and so we thought, you know, how to make something. And like the other way to go was like, let's do something photography related. And mm-hmm. all of those names are so not boring, but they're boring. You know, there's okay. uh, like ISO 1200, a magazine. There mm-hmm. is F32, a podcast or whatever. F64, mm-hmm. a backpack company. Aperture and, mm-hmm. you know, Obscura. And like all of the names are basically taken. And it looks kind of like, it's like you went with the straightest path mm-hmm. <laughs> for the name. And so we thought of something funny uh, something that can be said in most languages. So mm-hmm. we tested this with uh, people who speak Hindu, people who speak Mandarin, people who speak Japanese, for example, and like, hey, can you pronounce Loika? Mm-hmm. And they're like, sure, most people can. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also an easy name, so it's short. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fun. So the, the whole is. idea was kind of like, can we have fun while building this? And if we can then let's just do that and so that's how Sloika came to be uh, I, and you know it's a Vitalik's there's kind of like two more meanings to this so it's Vital, mm-hmm. in Vitalik's uh, Buterin's native tongue so mm-hmm. he understands what it is as well yeah so his Ethereum was uh, founded by a Russian-speaking person it's kind of like kind of like wanted to allure to that and mm-hmm. Sloika kind of means layers so mm-hmm. like multiple layers and that's what Ethereum and blockchains are also about there's usually layer one and there's layer two, two. and mm-hmm. there might be like different um, layers on top of that or kind of like in parallel and so we mm-hmm. thought like hey we can also have some other meanings embedded into this that's awesome that's awesome I, I I'm yeah, no, I think that's that's such a cool, cool understanding. I love the fact only only Ev, the most international guy I would know, would think right away to ask multiple international individuals who, uh, you know, if they have challenges saying it or not. So I think that's uh, that's uh, I think that's unique to you, and I think that's such a great way of looking at a business, especially when you want to think global uh, right off the bat. Um, well, one thing that really impressed me when I, you know, we got we got we did our research, Ev. We did our research here. One thing that really impressed me is that Sloika, Sloika launched a grant program for female photographers and photographers under 20. Why is this important to you? Um, that's true. We actually expanded the, the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it's for female photographers and photographers under 25 okay. uh, and for photographers in emerging markets. Um, and emerging markets is a very loaded term. So we do not tell you what the emerging markets are. You can decide okay. for yourself. Um, the reason for this, is, there's several. So we started with female photographers first. Uh, the reason is very simple. Majority of photographers that are minting on uh, you know, their photos as NFTs, mm-hmm. and minting is a term when you create them, basically put them on mm-hmm. the blockchain, uh, are male. So kind of like, you know, feels not right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very proud that our team is more than half female currently Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's something that I want to continue pursuing to make sure that we can have proper representation uh, from management to uh, uh, you know like across the board so not just like workers uh, or employees Um, and so the same goes for photographers so we started off with a simple premise 
uh, we want to support you if you're a female photographer. Mm -hmm. um, minting requires a bit of a gas fee. So mm -hmm. that's very common for the blockchain. You need to pay to miners to put your transaction there. Um, and in kind of like it goes up and down really rapidly in the really big uh, mm -hmm. moves. And so on average, it's about $100 to mint your photos. Mm. Uh, on Sloika. If it's other platforms, it's usually three, four, five times more uh, because of the code they use. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to just do that, you know, $100 for a company or startup, we can manage that. And so we basically put it out as a $100,000 that's reserved for this particular cause throughout this year. Uh, and we want to see more photographers uh, applying and we want to see more success in photographers from Places where $100 can go a long way. So, sure. you know, emerging markets uh, or people who are talented and may live even in um, developed countries, but may live in the specific parts of the city or places where $100 can still mean a lot. So, yeah, our goal is just to start to share their stories and share their photos and share their um uh, basically life with, with the rest, uh, of the NFT community. Wow, that's, I mean, that's such a great investment because you're making, you know, not only is, 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 is Sloika showing that, Hey, we're going to put a stake in the ground and say that we want, you know, more representation, but it makes the world more beautiful too. You know, if, if you can like young Ev with his first camera, getting the bug and getting excited, but you know, the barriers of entry are lower. Well, this is what you're doing for the young, you know, young people of the world to try to do have something similar in terms of yeah well you're right i mean investors gave us money so we're spending the money as you should the way we see fit mm -hmm. uh and you're right that usually you trade your youth and energy for uh uh for money later so when when <laughs> artists are young they usually lack money but they have a lot of creative ideas and a lot of energy and as people get older, they have more money and less time and less energy. So we want to like push this equation uh, as far as possible and help young people understand that they have the access to funds that we don't ask a huge write-up. You can fill the form within one minute. Mm -hmm. um, and like it's it's you know we're trying to make it as simple as possible um, and try to make it as as I would say as frivolous as possible as a startup, like we don't really have to go through like a chain or a committee or something like that. And we're just like, hey, sounds great. Let's, you know, pay those people. <laughs> it's a great investment. It's a great investment. Hopefully, you know, and hopefully it keeps Sloika growing as well, because, you know, it's it's uh, when you bring more creators into your network and, uh, you know, and as they get better at their tools and their trade, um, you know, that expands the content and, uh, you know, that's a great network effect as well. So I think that's a really good investment in, in, in you know, in, in bringing people up. Well, um, speaking of bringing people up, I mean, we had a, um, you know, or we had, you had uh, a, 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 a well, a well-known company. I definitely had heard about it, uh, which is the 500px, which to me was always this because I wasn't in the photography. This this beautiful artistic opportunity uh, that I heard about that was coming back from from Ontario. Um, but I want to know more about it. Can you tell me about the the founding story of 500px, please? Yeah, uh, 500px started in 2003. Um, as a hobby of mine. So mm -hmm. it started as a community on the LiveJournal platform. People don't even remember what it is, uh, even though LiveJournal still exists. Mm -hmm. um, and basically 
that was the curated way to have some nice photography. The name stems from the fact that back in those days, uh, most uh, browsers and most people did not uh, you know, resize their photos. And so if you're browsing on a forum or a thing like that, you mm -hmm. would see somebody uploading their original that just like the browsers yeah. could cannot uh, mm -hmm. resize it. So you have to browse like on the left and then on the right and on the mm -hmm. bottom. Um, and some would post uh, photos that would be like post stamps. And you'll be like, what is this? Like what's <laughs> happening there? So we wanted to have a more curated experience mm -hmm. uh, and all the photos had to be fire and PX wide. That at the time when the screens were 640 by 480 was a perfect size to fill almost all of the screen with just a few, you know, a little bit of borders to make it nice and pretty. Mm -hmm. And obviously now it feels more like applicable to an Apple Watch display than to uh, <laughs> uh, a, a screen display. But the name, you know, that's the origins of a name. And the idea, it's kind of like the same theme that keeps on uh, throughout the last 20 years of my life is... Can we build the tools to help photographers manage their lives better? Um, and back in those days, photographers, if you want to have your portfolio, you would have to hire somebody, you would have to manage it, and it's going to be very complicated uh, to find new work. So everybody had to hustle. And so with Foreign PX, the idea was kind of like, can we have photography so nicely displayed that you will come back to the site often that you will enjoy and be inspired, but also can help photographers by finding uh, the outlet that they can either sell their works. So we mm -hmm. tried selling prints, which didn't go so well, um, but we had, and then we had portfolios and then we had a photo stock part of this. So basically building the tools to help photographers manage their uh, visual portfolio, their representation, and hopefully help uh, turn some of this into uh, revenues and enter their, uh, you know, allow them to make money through that. Well, very cool. Very cool. Um, and I love how you, I mean, people now they're like, yeah, my, my hobby is my job. I don't know if that's a good thing. My side hustle is that, but I love the fact that this is something that's so entrenched in you. So it's such a love uh, that you improved everyone by expanding that. I didn't know the name that was because of, I guess, normalizing the, 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 the format of the sizing um, so that people can enjoy the, the, the art. And, you know, it's funny how a name can professionalize something. I think I want to go out and eat a sloika right now too. Like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're good. You're good at naming things. That's for sure. Well, well tell me about one thing, like one thing that I remember because I'm, I'm an Apple nerd, you know, I mean, we founded our company basically on, in the early days based on uh, developing iOS apps, uh, or at least native mobile apps. But I remember when Apple removed the uh, 500px's iPad app from the App Store. I mean, it was, I remember a big, you know, precedent set. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a big shock to all of us. I bet. Uh, one day we would wake up uh, and there's, uh, I forgot how, how it began. Either there was an article already or we just saw an email. Um, but basically that was kind of like the beginning of war that Apple was uh, starting on user-generated content with mm -hmm. some of the apps um, that would have photography specifically. And so their objection was, is that there is adult material on a website. Uh, obviously some people shoot nude photography, so mm -hmm. yes. Um, but the problem is kind of like, that was the premise. 
And, you know, there's a lot of things happening in the background. I spent two days on the phone with different journalists and reporters, and they were saying, well, Apple is not objecting to this. Apple is objecting that you guys had child pornography on, mm. on the site. And I'm like, okay, that's a huge, is like a huge, right? It's like, it, mm -hmm. it's a, uh, the problem is, is that uh, not reporting child pornography pornography is a crime mm -hmm. so knowing that there's something i'm like what's your police report file let's let's check what's happening there no response i'm like mm -hmm. guys you cannot claim something and never make any of the information available to us because okay. you you're hiding you know those people uh if that's true and we should be reporting them as well because mm -hmm. different countries and different uh, corporations, mm -hmm. um, they never responded to that. So it was uh, a baseless claim. And I'm like, this is serious stuff. Like, I don't yeah. want to be uh, thinking that we have some of that content somewhere in our servers because we have, um, uh, we have some moderators, but mostly it's the community that does the, uh, you know, policing. So mm -hmm. they would report the content and then it would go in a queue and we'll look at that and we'll either ban the person or remove their content. Mm -hmm. So fairly standard stuff, even though I felt like we started on the earlier side than other platforms. Um, and what was happening is that other apps uh, like Reddit and a whole bunch of others silently changed their ratings to 17 plus. Mm -hmm. um, and that was basically the whole drama. They used us as an excuse to do so. We got reinstated about a week later with the mm -hmm. 17 plus uh, age rating. And that was mainly it for a while. But then all the apps that you can think of, Flickr and others, they basically like suddenly went from three plus uh, age group to 17 plus. And I'm like, well, we were just vocal about this because... Uh, it's not that I went to war with Apple, but mm -hmm. they were uh, they were updating the uh, media articles with those quotes like uh, pornography and this and that. I'm like, guys, like you cannot do this. Like we're gonna mm -hmm. sue Apple <laughs> if if that continues. Like we'll have mm -hmm. no choice. Like yeah. the company can burn down because obviously fighting Apple is not a cheapest of endeavors. <laughs> Uh, but you cannot have those claims without uh, any substance. And especially when you claim something that is a crime to mm -hmm. uh, not report. Um, and yeah, I probably lost like a year of my life <laughs> in those few days trying I'm to sorry manage to hear this. That. Uh, but in essence, what we learned is that uh, A, there's no bad PR. So a lot of people realize they want to know what this app is about. So mm -hmm. uh, even though they couldn't get it, the, the traffic on site we, was like the highest in that period. Mm -hmm. And we got on TV, we got on the CNN, like any, any news uh, coverage you can imagine we had that. Um, but in essence, that is, yeah, that is basically how Apple is dealing with things. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I guess in, in our favor is that we decided to act and to uh, push forward. But unfortunately, yeah, that's still kind of like 
that is still out there along with my name, along with those keywords. And I'm like, <laughs> it's really hard to oh, you know, disassociate, but uh, that's, you know, that's life. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Apple is such a weird beast because, you know, I, I, I run a group here called Video, which is the Vancouver iOS Developers Industry Association. And we would have, you know, meetups weekly before COVID that or weekly, pardon me, monthly um, with, with quite a few people. And it was a really big community. And then I remember one time Apple actually invited us to do the best of Vancouver show at the Apple office. And um, I guess one person from McLean's was going to come, but as in a passive way, uh, McLean's magazine, but in a passive way. And two hours before, you know, all the Apple nerds who wanted to go see inside the, the, the heart of the Apple, they just canceled on us. No answers. Just, nope, it's done. Not going to happen. And we were just like, panel, like, what do we do? This is supposed to be like an awards ceremony. And that's just how Apple is. They, to be honest, they're, they're cruel, heartless co corporation. Um, you know, even against the people that love them the most, which is such a, was such a difficult thing. Yeah, no, definitely. When, when you're a biggest corporation, you get a lot of scrutiny. Um, so totally understand that. Um, I learned a little bit about the insides of that. Uh, I had to deal with a VP uh, at Apple through this issue. He gave me his personal phone number and cell phone number. I was calling him home every evening while this was going through like for a week. And I'm like, can we just like quickly solve, but they cannot go back. Like once it's out there, they cannot say, oh, we're sorry. That is not yeah. what we meant because it's, it's not a good look for Apple. And I'm like, I understand, but like, can we like, how, like, how do we resolve this? Um, long story short, we got back into the app store about mm -hmm. a week later. Um, we had to make a small change other than the age. We had to make the report button visible uh, mm -hmm. instead of like going to the menu and report. It had to be like report because the moderators or whoever was reviewing the app could not find it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's funny. There's so many little tricks that developers do. Uh, to try to do this, we would see when somebody from Cupertino from Apple is reviewing our app, you know, you have this yeah. uh, logs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it, yeah, at the end of the day, I think it was better for the uh, consumer, like two or three years down the road, we implemented Completely. a safer version that uh, does not have any nude content. And you can only have that if you, um, only on the website and only opt in. So you have to go in the settings and scroll down and say like, yes, I'm actually like old enough to see this instead mm. of the other way around, like many apps still use today. So I think it was net positive that you can safely view this photography um, uh, anywhere, basically. That's amazing. I mean, the precedence that you, you know, I mean, it was a week of hell, um, but I think the precedence that you set in terms of the entire community like that, because I know the reporting button, all of these things became necessary, like, it, especially with photo apps, I mean, we've, we've done our share, and it became necessary. And, and you know, it's, it's amazing to think that, you know, again, as awful as that must have been, um, you know, for you to go through, you made huge change for the positive for, for every single app in my mind. And I, I think that should be applauded for the the year week <laughs> that you spent uh, spent through that. So, uh, you know, thank you for, for suffering through it for the rest of us, I, sh I should say. <laughs> yeah, uh, Android, actually Google and Android did the same thing. So they uh, quietly changed all of the ratings for all the user generated apps as well, including ours. Mm -hmm. But they did that without drama. They're just like, oh shit, Apple is doing this, we better 
have a response for this. So they, they did it proactively in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the same like two, three week period. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, that's big change. And that's, po- that's net positive change. So, that, uh, you know, again, that, that's fantastic. Well, one thing that was interesting as well is you raised a significant amount of investment um, with 500px. Can you share the experience? Like, was, was that the first time you had done the investment game? How, how, how did that go? That was my very first company that I worked for full time. Um, and uh, we raised four rounds of investment. Uh, we raised uh, seed. Um, uh, we raised seed, we raised a bridge uh, round, and then series A and series B. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something, it's very different now, I would say first, but that was something where you have to take no as a normal response all the time, as in like, no, we're not interested, no, we're not interested, no, you're too early. Um, and as the first time founder, the process obviously is very, uh, opaque. It's mm-hmm. like, you don't know who to reach out to. You talk to firms that will never invest. Uh, you talk to associates, for example, and associates, like they're no, they have no urgency to invest. They gather the data and then they compile reports as in like, oh, this, you know, if you're into like social media, then these apps are growing. And if you're into like finance, then these apps are growing, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was hard, um, but luckily for us, we raised our very first angel round with a, a company fund called FFVC, mm-hmm. um, and they're the guys from New York, and uh, the, uh, uh, the guy who ended up on our board of directors, John Frankel, he like flew uh, from New York to Toronto, gave us the term sheet. And we're like, holy moly, what is that? <laughs> Never seen anything <laughs> like this. Um, and that was their first investment outside of United States. So mm-hmm. they were scared and we were scared. <laughs> so it's good to share that. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the fun stories from there is that we were raising 200,000 mm-hmm. um, and we had a call with John and um, we, um, you know, I uh, basically like had a call and... Uh, uh, ended the call and I talked to my co-founder Oleg and I'm like isn't that too little can we actually do something with this money uh, and decided that no we need to ask for a little more mm-hmm. so I called back um, calling John back and I'm saying hey remember we just talked and we agreed on like uh, I think it was 200 on a million uh, and I'm like can you do 400 on 2 million John is like, okay. And we're like, <laughs> that was the call. And I think that was the fastest we added uh, wow. 200,000 to our capital, basically. Do you, think, do you think that question though, or that phone call helped you get the, to close the deal? Because he, he might've been thinking the same thing. I, I, no, I think it's, uh, I think for early stage investors, the valuation doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine if you're putting your first money in Uber. Do you care if it's 5 million or 10 million, if it's worth uh, whatever it is worth today? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. It's like your returns might be 3,000 instead of 6,000 times. Mm-hmm. If, if, if that's so, well, I think you did pretty well. <laughs> to win either way, yeah. Yeah, uh, and the process is that you just need to play this game long enough and often enough to, uh, that's my understanding from the like outside looking in, mm-hmm. that uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, uncertainty 
And obviously majority of the investment uh, fails, but you just need that one. And mm-hmm. to get that one, you just need to play this uh, enough times. Like if sure. you invest in 30 startups, one can cover all the losses from the, the other 30. And it's a weird game that. It's a weird game that I dig that. Well, well, tell me about the, I mean, you went on, um, you know, you exited from PX. Can you, or 500 PX, pardon me. Can you tell me about, about uh, you know, saying goodbye to your, to your baby? Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was definitely tough. Okay. Um, so we raised, I think, around $14 million in Series B. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2015. And the investor that came in, that was a publicly traded company, uh, Visual China Group. Um, Visual China Group is famous that they, at the time, uh, only, by the time they acquired us, so I guess that's a spoiler alert, okay. uh, they only acquired two companies. They bought a company from Bill Gates, and they bought a company for NPX. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it was not Microsoft that they bought from Bill Gates, but it was Corbis. <laughs> it was another okay. company mm-hmm. uh, that they acquired. And uh, another photo stock company, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so when they invested in 2015, we started going to China and to Asia. And I was really surprised that it's actually extremely popular in China. But you cannot even search this. You cannot be privy to that information unless you are in uh, like strange Chinese apps that, that don't leak data to Google, for example. So like mm-hmm. you can search that and see that there is like groups discussing for npx and there's hundred thousand people in that group and i'm like that's insane and they're Mm -hmm. like chatting about like how to game algorithms and things like this how to become you know like popular (laughs) so that was also silly and funny (laughs) um but the the process led us to discover that there's a bigger uh world out there and that was my first uh kind of like official trip uh, out to china to shanghai Mm -hmm. beijing um and Eventually, um, I left the company uh, in the early next uh, next year in 2016, mm-hmm. and actually went to China. I wanted mm-hmm. to see kind of like what else is there. I wanted to explore. Um, but a year later, VCG actually proposed to acquire uh, Foreign PX, and now it's sort of like a crown jewel in their portfolio. So sure. that's their. Place in the Western world, whereas the majority of the operations are in China, in mm-hmm. Beijing, and some other areas. And so that still represents kind of like that dichotomy between like West and East for uh, for foreign PX. That's very but cool. Basically, it's managed from China now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then and that's where you started getting a little bit more of your Asian bug of going to see China, Taipei, uh, Korea, Japan, all of these places. Then I suppose. Uh, yeah. So yeah, um, after I left, I basically got a one-way ticket to Shanghai mm-hmm. and I wanted to ingrain myself in there, but I only could survive 10 days in Shanghai. I actually uh, didn't spend too much time in mainland China, but I did mm-hmm. spend over a year and something in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that was, uh, that was a lot of exciting times, but the first I did is like a giant uh, Grand Asia startup tour. So I was going from like Indonesia uh, to uh, Singapore and I was chatting with like people who are having accelerators, who are having startups with VCs um, and, and like incubators and basically trying to understand how they think about startups, 
which mm-hmm. gave me a lot of ideas how to both improve for NPX. So I was like, you know, uh, even though I left the company, I stayed on board of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like telegramming my messages back to the headquarters. I'm like, hey, we should really like focus on Japan, for example. We can mm-hmm. really grow Japan and it's going to be big. Um, but all that requires resources. So obviously like uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a balance that the company has to maintain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I traveled quite a bit. Uh, I saw different places that gave me a lot of ideas that we're actually five years later implementing uh, in Sloika, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is a concept called Arisan in uh, Indonesia, where people pull the money uh, and then give the money to someone to buy something like a, a big dinner or a new car or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing something similar with collectives where uh, photographers pull their photos mm-hmm. and you can randomly buy a photo, but you don't know which one you're going to get. But regardless which photo, which photographer you buy, the money is distributed equally uh, among mm-hmm. the group. And so that is done programmatically and that is done what's called a trustless way. So you don't have to know those people to know that you will guaranteed payout because it's on the blockchain. Yeah, um, so there's contracts. Like this, yeah. So that's what the smart contracts are all about. And those things, they help alleviate the stress of uh, an anxiety that comes with uh, selling your artworks uh, as NFTs. And so I think it's going to be pretty huge in the next, we'll see, several months. That's super fascinating. I mean, it, it takes a village to save a village or help a village, right? So I think that's I think that's super cool idea. Well, one thing, I mean, I'm, I really enjoyed like, doing the research um, into you Ev, because I got to see a lot of your photos from the travels and everything. They, they, you are a very talented photographer, but it was just such a a fun experience. So I, you know, as, as much as the publicly available stuff is 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 out there, I I, I highly I challenge and recommend that, uh, you know, my listeners do take a look um, at, at the stuff you've created because it, it is, it is gorgeous. Well, you know, you're still judging photo contests. That's, is that correct? Um, uh, so what, yeah. More or less, more or less, you know, I guess daily we're, we're judging photos. Uh, we're saying don't be less or more than 500 PX right now. Although I guess that's a, that's an old, an old judgment rule, but, but what makes a good judge of a photo? Well, judging photos is hard uh, because I I have to say no to many talented photographers and I have to, uh, usually without knowing a name, so it's just a photo and I have to make that decision usually fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, In most cases, one of the last uh, contests that I judged, uh, the challenge was is that I had to look through all the photos and that's about like four or 5,000 that were submitted. That is hard. It takes a day, sometimes two days to go through this. And like you need to visual breaks basically because, you know, if you are a little bit hungry, then I'm way more judgmental. <laughs> and if I had a nice <laughs> Eat a slurka. Eat a slurka. <laughs> yeah. So like I need to balance and be mindful of this as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, uh, it's important. But once, you know, with Foreign PX, we've seen so many photos with the contest and seen so many photos, the, some of the aspects that I'm looking for is um, originality uh, and uh, repeatability. And so one of the contests that I judged, Red Bull Illumin, for example, they're in a sport, extreme sports photography. Um, and, you know, there's so many talented photographers. They usually pair with... Um, 
uh, sportsmen and sports uh, women to do some tricks and they would have specific lighting, they would have specific idea. There are some that are shooting this in a very challenging conditions. And for me, it's kind of like, can you actually, if you are a regular photographer, can you actually repeat that? Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, it's a definite no. And so for me, it ranks a lot higher than others. There's one photo that became one of the either runner-ups or winners uh, with the mountain bike uh, going downhill. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a solar eclipse happening at the same time. Wow. Like you have to time it. <laughs> It's not Photoshop. You have to, like, how often does it happen? You have to know where it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. You have to plan all of these things. And you have to have, like, if if the if this person goes down a little bit faster or a little bit slower, maybe you're not getting the same shot because they cannot go back up really quick. Uh, eclipse would be, uh, you know, over by the time. And so when you start thinking of this, I'm like, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> if I want to repeat this photo, it's too much work. I will not do this. <laughs> that is such a beautiful definition. My gosh, I, I yeah, this, uh, this is why I'm glad there's so many beautiful artists out there that can create such a, I mean, this, the science behind that repetitiveness. So it's, I mean, it's kind of funny because I was thinking back in the skateboarder days, like, you know, hey, great, you pulled that one trick off once, but can you do it repetitively? You know, or rep- you know can, you, can you actually own it? Um, but for this, it's like, hey, there's that golden moment. How do you capture that golden moment as well? Um, well, one thing, one thing that I'm, I'm intrigued by is on your LinkedIn description, you've got WAGME, um, which, I, which I looked it up. But can you tell me uh, what WAGME means to you and why do you have it on your LinkedIn description? Um, that's, uh, an excellent question. So I do have a funny picture on my LinkedIn profile, uh, mm-hmm. and I do have bug me, which is, uh, we're all going to make it, uh, mm-hmm. which is the most common, uh, translation of that. And basically that's my way of trying to have fun. Uh, that's my way of trying to turn LinkedIn into the professional network, uh, <laughs> into a playground. So I do believe that those worlds will collide eventually where, uh, you can be, you don't have to be serious to be considered a serious person. It, I don't know if it makes sense. Makes and so, sense. and so there's uh, people on Twitter mostly that have funny avatars. They are anonymous or pseudonymous where uh, you know who they are, but you don't know who is behind uh, that as a real person and they build their reputation. And so I think it's an it's a it's an interesting concept of trying to um, not assign specific reputation to a person as you and I speak, mm-hmm. but actually say like, well, can you have a different personality? Can I be like, am I somewhere outside of work? Am I, uh, you know, a, a boyfriend or am I, uh, um, you know, a sports person that likes to do something? or am I a crafts person, or maybe I teach something. And so I can have a different personality, but we are operating that we're like, we're on 24 seven. So it's like, you are who you are and you should be mm-hmm. consistent. Um, I think by almost separating those two, you can be somebody different without having this judgment uh, being attached to you. So if I wanna ride a unicycle after work and uh, juggle some balls, so be it. <laughs> Maybe I mean that I'm not doing this, but now that I'm thinking of this, it sounds really fun, and that sounds like a cool thing to do. And I might be dressed really funky clothes, and still be myself. 
I can go back to the office or home, change and have a conversation with you. I think it just gives uh, a nice segmentation to people to be uh, themselves and express themselves without the fear of judgment or even retribution sometimes. Fantastic. Fantastic. And we are all, we are all going to make it. So I, I, I definitely dig that. Well, well, Ev, um, you know, the theme of afternoon tea is, you know, we talk to wonderful entrepreneurs like yourself to, um, to try to prepare that next generation of Canadian startups. So I have these two questions I always ask, and I'm, I'm really interested to know your thoughts around this. Um, but first off, what can, um, can you share just one piece of advice uh, to help a younger Canadian founder uh, be more successful? Start early. <laughs> There you go. Uh, in all honesty, like when, when we were doing foreign PX uh, and with Loika, I think the importance of uh, like, you may not know exactly what you want to do or which field it is, but it doesn't, uh, shouldn't stop you from starting early and trying something. Uh, whether it's, you know, when I was living in Japan, for example, I had a candy delivery business. I, uh, I just uh, finished my work with one startup where things fell apart and I just mm -hmm. left. And I'm like, you know what, for the next month, I'm going to do something fun. So I started a candy delivery business. Amazing. Uh, if you want weird Japanese candy, I'll pack it and I'll ship it. Um, and it's things like this, just kind of like you will learn something. And I learned that shipping costs a lot of money and uh, I cannot <laughs> sell at a profit. Mm -hmm. So to learn this, I would ask people, I'll ship it at cost. You know, I'll basically, uh, you know, you pay me whatever it costs me to pack it and ship it and my labor is free. And in the month I learned that it's a bad business. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. And then I learned mm -hmm. that how others are doing this because there's a lot of those snack delivery companies mm -hmm. And obviously, they need to do uh, uh, bigger containers that they would ship to the United States first, and then do sorting and logistics uh, in the uh, in the country itself. Mm -hmm. Only then it starts making sense. Then they do some things that I wouldn't like to do. They would do like cheaper candies, and I'm like, yeah, that's not my way. Nope. But they figure out those logistics, and that was very exciting to kind of like try to pick from inside. Um, but yes, just starting early, figuring out what do you want to do and not keeping your ideas secret i think it's mm. you know there's there's some who would say like oh somebody will steal my idea please <laughs> please <laughs> steal all of my ideas like if if somebody wants to implement this the the hard work is not in the idea that you dreamed up but actually in building and iterating and finding uh, that clients and photographer or like wh whoever your client um, base really needs that and you know, starting an NFT marketplace for photographers, not a not a original idea. Or starting for NPX, not an original idea. Uh, but the originality comes from listening to your uh, customers, to learning to do things different over time and experimenting, uh, and learning if you made a mistake and you know if you can correct it, and just being persistent over. The many years that it takes to uh, to build something. Oh, I am so glad I asked that question because I learned two things. First off, you clearly have, you know, entrepreneurs is in your DNA. I think there, even to your your last day, you're going to be doing your own thing, making 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 the world a beautiful place. But also, man, Ev, Japanese candy man. I had no idea. I'm I am 
I am intrigued. I am intrigued. We're, we're going to have to have that conversation the next time I see you in Toronto or wherever, wherever we are. Um, well, last question um, before, because I know you have to take off to Europe uh, and really appreciate, you know, you're spending your, your, your day or your time with us uh, uh, in, in, with such a busy schedule. But I would really love to know your thoughts on, you know, if you can name a Canadian entrepreneur star or founder that you look up to. Um, yeah, I would say there's actually two. I don't know if two is allowed. Two is perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a great person named Emma Stern. Uh, she's a co-founder and CEO of Felix Health. Um, great startup um, that does um, basically like anything you do for your health uh, prescription, stuff like that. She used to work with us at Fire and PX. And uh, I think the integrity and the hard work that I saw at that time when she was with us, uh, you know, sometimes you would see people uh, and you'd be like, yeah, they'll go and build something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and we actually encourage that. We uh, are, you know, lucky to say that we have a lot of people that left Foreign PX and then started their own companies. Um, and really grateful for that. It's not like Shopify mafia in a way, but it's a tiny little you know thing where they would probably look at us and and would say, oh, these founders have no idea what they're doing, so I can do this and I can do that too. <laughs> Highly um, doubt that, but <laughs> and, and so she started the company. It's going well, and Wonderful. I think her perseverance is uh, pretty incredible. Um, and there's another person that I've met. Um, forgot where uh, in some startup event um, that's Lin Chen and she is uh, been doing um, what's the name uh, web app web app.io they uh, I think they changed the name a few years back and so um, also seen kind of like believing in entrepreneurial journey uh, and she is a young entrepreneur and kind of like pursuing that despite knowing that for the first two or three years of this journey is going to be hard. It's, it would be really fun in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, this valley of desperation and like hard work where nothing really works. Mm -hmm. And I think she is uh, going through that really, really well. So those two, um, I would really look up to them. Well, thank you for highlighting them. I'll definitely look 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 more into uh, their their adventures and uh, and uh, you know I'm I'm glad that we have some uh, great Canadians uh, you know like yourself to be pushing uh, pushing the, the next generation. I th I think that's I think it's amazing. Well, Ev, th thank you um, again. Thank you so much for for joining me today. I um, when I when I when I created the list of people who I wanted on this season, you were one of the first people I thought about after after speaking with you uh, and meeting with you in in, in Portugal, and I, you did not disappoint in any way whatsoever this was such a fun time and, and again i look forward to uh, continuing the chat outside of the you know our mics and uh, learning more about your adventures and uh, um, so thank you so much and it's crazy that you see the perseverance part is that we're recording you're recording 56 uh, episode and that's pretty incredible and i think before i blink you know it's going to be a hundredth episode that you'll be celebrating but you know what? That's not work. Just like you said, if you find a hobby <laughs> that you love, this is not work. I mean, this is literally not work for me. I, this is a, this is just something I enjoy doing so much. So thank you just for you know helping helping me uh, create a better uh, Canadian um, history or identity um, that uh, you know that I'm just telling helping tell the story through. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Chris.
Ahoy, afternoon tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you like this episode, and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T at T-T-T, that is three T's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at T-T-T underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.